Welcome back to SoxCast Game of the Year, Day 2. Polly's a little under the weather, so I'm driving this episode. Let's cut right to the chase. John, what's your number five? Uh, we didn't do introductions, though. Like, Red, you're the But this funny... is this is part two. We're recording this right afterwards. Okay, I guess. All right, am I We're under first... extenuating I, I guess... circumstances here. All right, I guess I'm going to... So... There are a handful of games where it's always, like, kind of a wait to see who the first person to pull the trigger is, right? Right. Uh-huh. Uh, my number five is Doki Doki Literature Club. Oh! Mm-hmm. I'm going to jump this... on John's list here and say that's my number five as well. This is going to save us a little time. Oh. On... <laughs> this is going to save us a little, a, little br- a little bit of time on whatever my voice has left. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, this game is really fucking good. It's, it's really just... good. It's a visual novel. It's a horror visual novel. Um, Surprise! Heed the, yeah, heed the, heed, the, heed the content warnings, y'all. Yeah, the, the content warning at the start does kind of give things away. Like, yeah. you can't really trick someone into playing this. No. Yeah, but you wouldn't want to, because this game fucked me up, actually. <laughs> yeah, this game is more than just a little fucked up. Oh, man. It... <sighs> Look... There are games that there are other games that came out this year, perhaps that we could talk about. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> like, all right, so it, it reminded me a lot of her lullaby in some ways. Yeah. Um, but her lullaby cuts to the murder and death like right off the bat. Yeah. So it's like I don't really to me like her lullaby isn't so much about being super scary because it's because yeah. it because it does just kind of get go to that level of intensity really quick so you kind of are moving past that really fast jumps into that into something completely different yeah whereas Um, whereas doki doki literature club kind of goes the opposite route is in that it's the other thing before it becomes the horror thing yeah doki doki literature club is the slowest burn to the biggest horror payoffs yeah um and it's not it doesn't feel I knew it was coming because of the, and I yeah. think it works better because I knew it was coming. Um, and they fake it out at least once where you think it's, where you, you think things are about to pop off. It doesn't. Yeah. So that when it does, it lands really hard. And mm-hmm. I kind of had trouble sleeping for a few days after playing Whoa. this game. And I haven't had that reaction to a horror game in a long time. This game um, leaves a fucking impression. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, TW, um, but it helped me process some feelings I was dealing with Yeah. Um, that were really hitting me harder than they kind of ever have, and the game helped me deal with that in a really meaningful way. Um, and I think it just it's just a very good story, and with this kind of trickery, it's easy to for it to just be the gimmick, basically. And it's not. It is a yeah. good story that resonates. And that goes well beyond the interface mindfucks and whatnot. It's, I cared about the characters, and the resolution yeah. was very, very strong. I like how when you go back and read it, if you dare do that, everything makes so much more yes. sense the second time. It's like It's really consistent in that regard, where it's not just kind of, Haha, jump scares, and you know, towards the end, but like, there's a reason for everything that's happening. Yeah, you can see little nuances 
Yeah. Uh, like the poetry is a big, big, big yeah. window into what's going on in this game. Uh, mm. And when you start, like, like what I did is I played it through the first time, and then I, w- I played it through a second time, paying way more attention to uh, the, the, the poetry and everything. And that's kind yeah. of where it all kind of... It's just like, yeah, this is a thing that makes complete, total, and utter sense and is a fucking genius in how it's implemented. And yeah. there's other things, too, like the music being oh, yes. super important in ways that you don't yes. expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, so, it's a masterpiece. I really loved it. So this game wasn't on my list. It kind of just narrowly missed out. I thought that's what Polly was going to say was going to be my number nine is mm-hmm. the last game. Because it kind of reminded me of... Uh, Helen's Mysterious Castle, where it's a game I played right before Game of the Year, and I'm like almost snuck it onto the list, but I decide not to this year because I I had a feeling you two would be putting it on. Yeah, like, this one, this one, <laughs> so, this one landed in yeah. a lot of the right ways, just because yeah. of you know not only because the story is as strong as it is, and the characters are as strong as they mm-hmm. are, and all of the fucking fuckery that that game yeah. does and plays around with, but just from having the experience of having written a visual novel in the last year. Um, yeah. and seeing how that came together compared to what John and I had done, that was an interesting thing, just seeing both parallels and differences and how we kind of handled maybe some of the same kinds of feelings or situations, and it was kind of satisfying seeing those things line up and then also diverge in really satisfying ways. Mm-hmm. And also funny when this game is kind of about the medium of visual novels itself. Yes! And like very much a deconstruction of that setup, even though her lullaby wasn't that setup of you know, yeah, yeah, like they both kind, kind of, of they both kind of deconstruct what choices yeah. mean in visual novels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also a, it's a VN I finished and then didn't think afterwards, mm, didn't immediately think, mm, well, ours was better, but it's still cool. So <laughs> points points for that. Yeah, I had a little, I had a string of games where I was like, mm, we're pretty good, but so. You know, got got that humility going. Yeah. There's a thing you do at the end of this game that I loved so much that as a game designer, it drove me insane because I'm just like, I want to build an entire game off of this idea. Brett spent then, an entire night sending me DMs. Yeah, I was so of, into it. Of an idea of like how he could take this one idea, this, this one moment from Doki Doki Literature Club and turn that into this entire winding narrative and make it like the entire crux of what a game is based upon. Yes. For me, I wish this game, this like the last third lasted way longer. Cause that was what I was really into personally. Yeah, I-, I think that the slow start may be even to this game's detriment in some cases. It's pretty slow. Yeah. I'm really like, glad the poetry lands because if it didn't, it would that would yeah. kind of kill it. I think. Yeah, yeah. But man, the poetry does land. Woo! Yeah, it's a poem never really ends. It just stops moving. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> Game makes me have feelings. I swear. Yeah. Hey, Rhett. Um, hey, Rhett. So who's the yeah. best girl? Uh, I liked uh, uh the pink hair one. Yeah, I forget her name already. Yeah. Natsuki. Nazi, yeah. yeah, she was. Yeah, the one like that... at the beginning, who was everyone? Who was everyone's favorite? Yeah, she was my one true bay. Yeah, <laughs> and then like, I got bored. 
I kind of got forced into, conf- into confessing for someone else, though. Yeah, weird, very, huh? Very manipulative that way. Huh. What a fucking weird <laughs> thing. <laughs> but this game is free, uh, and people should play yeah. it. Like, if this is your kind of thing, this game is free, um, and they yeah. support it by uh, a merch store that you can just go get some cool things. Um, There's and, also like a ten dollar DLC on Steam yes. if you want to just throw money through yeah, that. If you just basically, wanna, yeah, it's 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 this is this game's awesome. Um, yeah, know. and you should definitely play it as long as you're aware of content warning. Yeah, the content warning. Heed that content warning. They are not kidding. Yeah. Hey, Red. What's your number five? Oh boy. It's not, so it's, it's apparently not Doki Doki Literature Club, so it's wrong. No. But continue. Okay, so I take Game of the Year very seriously. It's very hard for me to rank my list. But basically what I'm about to say is that any of my top five uh-huh. could have easily been number one, and I would have been totally fine with it. Gotcha. Yeah, I have the feeling too. However, for number five, I'm also cheating and doing a combined entry because of a certain moment I had that involved both of these games. So oh, kind of... Okay. Well, I'll let you get away with it because you've got a six and a half inch dick. <laughs> Font size small and then font size large. My two games for number five are Her Lullaby <laughs> and 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 first to pull the trigger near Automata. Oh wow! I will I will happily stand shoulder to shoulder with near Automata. It's a very strange combo. Damn! All right. I'm really sure how to talk about them together. So Her um, Lullaby is. Next. A very uh, emotionally charged visual novel mm-hmm. that I read in one evening and then cried a whole <laughs> bunch at the end and then kind of felt like shit for the next few hours. <laughs> I love the fact that I had a hand terrible. in making a game that could make somebody feel that way. Mm. But I'm also a huge softie. I cry fucking everything. Yeah, that's a good much. point. Yeah. But her lullaby, especially, no offense, the parts John wrote. <laughs> we're so fucking dark in a way I did not think either of you could go. <laughs> I think that the 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 thing about that game is we both went to some really dark places that I don't think either of us knew was there. Uh, I did not think you were quite as far as this game goes in uh, the flashbacks of a certain character. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that whole ending sequence with, you know, the, the thing. The big reveal. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah, that 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 was John's idea and yeah. but it was something that we both kind of had this at the same it was an idea that we had at the mm-hmm. same time but John ended up implementing and when I saw it it was like that's what I was thinking. Yeah, what I did was oh my god, I passed it to you and then immediately thought of that. Yeah. And then wrote it and said, "All right, I just thought of an idea I'm really excited about. I'm going to write it down and then let you write your part, and then I can show it to you later. And then try, and I just implemented it, and then showed you. Yep, I wrote that down. Yep, we both had that written down. I had it written down in Notepad, and I showed John a, a, a screenshot of that, and it was just like we had the same fucking idea. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, it's like that puzzle piece that once it's there, you don't know how you existed without yes. it. Basically, yes. Yeah, like it's just everything. Oh, everything fits now. Weird. Hmm. And the climax uh, just hits really hard for me. Then I always so that's probably the bit that hits yeah. hardest for me, and that's then I really appreciate Polly getting yeah. that going. Thank you. Yeah, writing that out. We're so awesome! Holy <laughs> crap, we are. we're great. Okay, 
So, so what? There's some dumb, some dumb other game. Some some dumb game, some sequel to this PS3 game nobody played. Uh, <laughs> Near Automata slash Near Automata, however you want to say it. Uh, this is also a very good game for making you feel like shit. Oh yeah! Nearly every every single time you finish a side quest, <laughs> you feel kind of shitty about what has happened. <laughs> yep. <gasps> like the side quests when you finish them in video games, they're either inconsequential or it's just here's some numbers to make you feel good. Yeah. In, in Nier Automata, every fucking side quest is like, oh, and then this bad thing happened afterward. Everyone Yay. is awful and betrays everybody. Life is meaningless. Everyone's a liar. Yeah. Uh, so, and it, this game also plays very well. It has the good action and the good bosses and the good music. Yeah. But, so the reason, and the final, bo- the final bosses. Oh, God, there's so good. The dual one. The dual boss towards the end. So good. You know, on, on the elevator. Yeah. That's uh that's ret moment of the year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where it made me mad I had never thought to do something like that myself, basically. Yeah. <laughs> of just the switching and kinda having the shmup section next to a beat 'em up mm-hmm. or something. Like it's so good. And then you think it's over and then it has one more and then it keeps going. And then you have the actual final boss. Yeah. Mm. And then I showed Polly a video the other day of like a thing oh, the you thing can do during the ne- final boss oh, my. that everybody, everyone misses that will blow your fucking mind. Like this game is so dense with mind fuckery and interface fuckery. Yeah. Uh, so the reason I'm combining these two games though is because of ending E, oh, okay. which is which is already like moment of the year for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of just being this incredibly emotionally devastating thing. That you suffer through, and then it's all good at the end. Yeah. Uh, so somewhere towards the end of that, you get to leave a message. Kind of a Dark yep. Souls style. Yep. And it's made of kind of pre-translated phrases and such. Yep. And the default one is something like, it's okay, you did your best. And as soon as that popped up on the screen, I thought of the ending of her lullaby. Yes. And- just oh. emotionally fucking snapped <laughs> for a while. <laughs> now those games are permanently linked in my head because that moment. That is that is an association I will happily, happily take. Yeah. That's really nice. Both games are very good. Thanks, Fred. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I need to. So, John, user list? Sure. Number 12. (laughs) All right. Poncho Smith presents 200 reasons why Nier Automata isn't as good as you think. Just yanking your chain. Here's the actual list of the best games I played that aren't named for lullaby. (laughs) I I didn't intend for all these horror lullaby references to come right next to each other. (laughs) Sorry, I'm... Feeling good. Here, let me just go in. Just go. <laughs> just go full. Musky. Alright, right, let's go, y'all. Number three is Cuphead. Cuphead would have secured a lofty spot in the annals of game. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. why you say that word. Are well, sure? so much for that. I don't think that's that's how that word is said. Are you sure? I'm pretty yeah, sure that's... that's not the word you're looking for. Alright. 
Cuphead would have secured a lofty spot in the annals of gaming history just based on its lovingly crafted visuals alone. Thankfully, this game is hardly a case of style over substance, as the gameplay more than holds its own. The run-and-gun action contained, wi contained within doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it provides a solid foundation for the oodles and oodles of boss fights that the game hurls in your direction. You'll be taking your beatings again and again until you finally scrape through with a knockout, thanks to your reflexes, fortitude, and in many cases, more than just a little bit of luck since bosses can get pretty darn nasty with their concurrent attack patterns. A challenge, but more than worth the price of admission. Also, Sally stage play, best girl. Oodles doesn't strike me as a word Poncho would use. <laughs> just just weird observation. He said oodles. It was him. I know he, said, I know he said oodles and oodles, but it just doesn't strike me as a Poncho word. That's all. <laughs> all right. All right. I, it wasn't an editorialization. Number two is Danganronpa V3 Killing Harmony. A difficult game to talk about as damn near every aspect of what stuck with me is oh so spoilerific. The meat of the game is fairly standard Danganronpa fare with some minor gameplay tweaks which makes all those mid-trial mini-games just slightly less obnoxious than in previous titles, namely Danganronpa 2. Um, ultimately, story is king here. And boy does V3 ever go places you will feel lied to, betrayed, crushed, hoodwinked, and bamboozled. You will declare that life has lost any and all meaning to you, and you'll be completely lost as to what the hell is even going on. Yes, that's par for the course for this series, but trust me, you haven't seen anything yet until you get through this one. Also, Miyu Iruma, best girl. Hell fucking yeah! Come dumpster number one! Huh. <laughs> hey, she's proud Wait, of me then. That's a that's a reference to the game, not just a non sequitur. No, that's not a non sequitur. I swear to God, it's not. Oh my God, <laughs> non sequitur. All right. Number one is Persona Five. Let's get the lame stuff out of the way first. No, you can't play as a female protagonist, um, which isn't lame because the protagonist of Persona Five is mm -hmm. the best and hottest boy. Um. And no, you can't smooch any of the boys. That is a problem. That's kind um, of a problem. Now with that out of the way, Persona 5 absolutely lives up to its reputation as being the new gold standard for JRPGs. Damn, setting new benchmarks in both style and substance. Not just for the Persona series, but for the genre at large. The combat is faster and more streamlined. The dungeons are far more intricate and rewarding to explore. Or, well... By Persona standards, at least. The Acid Jazz soundtrack provides earworms for days. Persona 5's cast of characters is perhaps the strongest yet, with your comrades being consistently engaging and your foes being unbelievable assholes. Persona 5 is amazing, that's all. Also, Kawakami Best Girl. I never thought about it, but earworm is a pretty, like, grotesque image, huh? <laughs> John's got John's gonna be right into the story tonight. <laughs> you just think of that because of Fate Zero. Uh -huh. And not Fate. <laughs> no worms there. Whatever, it's cool. <laughs> Rat, what's number 13? Unlucky list. Okay. Oh, I the unluckiest of lists. Oh, no. Well, unfortunately, it comes in from Sayara, so that kind of fits, I guess. It fits. What a bitch. <laughs> Number one, Fire Emblem Echoes Shadows of Valencia is a greatly needed rinse off the miserable, miserable puddle that was Fire Emblem Fates left, left for me last year. Though insanely difficult, 
Though insanely different in gameplay mechanics compared to any other Fire, Fire Emblem title, its story is so much re- more remarkably better, making it a much more enjoyable experience. Also, the music is good. Real, real good. Cool. Number two, Cuphead. Ooh. Another Cuphead. Uh, even if I didn't finish it quite yet, or was able to even be good at it myself, it has been one of my favorite games to play with my friends, sparking a reminder that co-op games are fun, y'all. It's so gorgeous to look at, and its aesthetic is too goddamn charming. I mean, just with that aesthetic, it would really secure its place in the annals yeah. of history. Right, right <laughs> in the annals. Right in the annals. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say next time I kick somebody in the ass. I'm just going to say, I kicked you right in the annals. <laughs> hey, right, Your annals right, are history. Number three, Super Mario Brothers 2. Uh, no, I mean Super Mario Odyssey. This is the first time that I ever enjoyed a collectathon type platformer game ever. I did not like Banjo Kazooie, Mario 64, Sunshine, etc. So I think that has to do has to mean something. Its casualness is great to just turn on and play around for an hour, but oh, so, but so play for an hour or so, but technical enough to get away with doing some harder platforming tricks and challenges that are hard in its nature, but fair, if only that you never have to restart from the beginning since there are basically no game overs at all for the game. And it has turnips. Holy shit, lottery, you lose. Cheers, Sayara. Aw. That's nice. I think my number four is next. Yes, it is. I believe so, yes. Speaking of collectathon platformers that were put together by Naughty Dog for the PS2... My number four is Dragon Quest Three. Oh, okay. Wait, what? <laughs> oh, wait, I was thinking of Dragon Age. Jesus. <laughs> okay, yeah, that would have been weird. That's not even Naughty Dog. <laughs> um, Dragon Quest Three is a masterpiece, and it made me cry a bunch. Um, and it, I thought I liked it more than Final Fantasy One, which I also played this year by quite a bit. Sorry, Final Fantasy One. Um, Final Fantasy One's dungeons are better. Um. Dragon Quest 3, I, I played through Dragon Quest 1 through 3 over the course of a month when things were kind of stressful, and I really loved all of them. Um, and 3 is often one of the most beloved ones, and I think it kind of earns that. There, it doesn't really have, like, a gimmick to it you can point to to say, like, why it's so good. Like, Dragon Quest 4 has the cool multi-character storytelling, and Dragon Quest 5 has the very hard-hitting thematic moments that are very easy to... You say, hey, look at how good this is. Um, it's just a building on the formulas established. It builds on Dragon Quest 1 and 2 and tells, you know, because these games are all basically the same story. Um, and it tells that story in a way that is really powerful and affecting and just bullshit free. Like, it's sort of the JRPG experience just sort of refined to its barest essence, I feel like. like This is sort of the same catharsis and stuff that you get in games like Final Fantasy IV or way later games like, I don't know, even Persona, where the feeling of conquering like a big, terrifying final boss that you just don't feel like you can... There's any way you can possibly beat. And then just ring that language for all the catharsis it's worth. Um, Dragon Quest III is just kind of perfect at that. And it really got to me in a way that with kind of justice design language, you know, which I think is really amazing. Right. And it's one of the best RPGs ever. 
Nice. Hey, Rhett, what's your number four? Uh, my number four, maybe a bit of a dark horse candidate here, is XCOM 2. Wow, and did not expect with this to land this high. With mods installed, because I did a lot of modding after I beat it the first time. So this one's weird because, like, I don't know if this is a better game than XCOM the first, or the, you know, the, the remake one, I think 2011 or so. Yeah. Enemy unknown. Yeah. But, but, like, this one clicked for me way more than that one ever did in a weird way. And I think a lot of that probably is the ridiculous customization you can do with mods and, like, downloading Neptunia heads and stuff. That's what I kind of figured. <laughs> I felt like it was my squad this time, whereas, like, in the first game, you had very limited character options. Yeah. And this one, they let you design characters outside of the campaign, so you can just spend hours, like, building the characters that'll show up to be playable in your campaign yeah. and like you know pick your hairstyle your ethnicity voice everything and then mods to do like oh i want polly to have noir's english voice and dumb stuff like that yeah <laughs> so like i probably played this game for like two hours before actually starting just like building all my friends and stuff in this game and then to eventually like... feed them to the slaughter well, Polly ended up being, like, my star sniper, just like in the first game, so that worked out. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, horrible moments where it's like, oh my god, Plutia's dead. Oh no! But when I beat this game the first time, it was like, I was kind of unsatisfied, too, because I really enjoyed it, but I wanted there to be more. So I spent, like, several days kind of downloading, trying out mods to get kind of a slightly harder experience, but not too hard. But not, like, like Long I wanted... War... I tried Long War and fucking hated it. Yeah, like, Long War is awful. Because yeah, Long War Two had just come out, came out when I was playing this, like the same week or something ridiculous. But I tried it and it was just like, oh, this is like, oh, cool base management where you have to manage your personnel individually. That sounds miserable. Yep. Instead of just clicking deploy mission, you ha there's like travel time, and like you have to like send your squads out individually and like yeah. wait so like all that stuff seemed awful so but basically in the end i found a bunch of mods that were like hey it's the regular campaign but we added like way more crazier enemies towards the end it's like oh here's like a walker mech with twice as much as health as the one in the main game it's like i kind of found this weird balance where i was able to make the game harder but without going to the harder difficulties nice and it just like it felt like it kind of spruced up the main game that was maybe lacking a little bit and then I played the whole thing campaign again a second time with two different enemy mods installed, so it got pretty nuts with how many different variations were showing up by the end. And like that last mission is just a real fucker once again. <laughs> yeah, but that that's like one of the best parts of that first game. It's yeah, so good. It, it's a real fucker in the second oh. though. Like I just I never could find myself getting into mm -hmm. XCOM two just because I hate the whole timer bullshit. Well, see that's. Another thing about the mods is that there's one mod that's like, I mean, there's some mods that are like, oh, let's make the timer a little more forgiving, which yeah. I think is what I used. And then there's another mod that's like, the timers won't start until you get discovered. Ah, so you, I see, that's better. So you can get a few, like, four, three or four turns, like, moving up into position. As long as you don't get discovered, you won't be under the timers. Like, there's ways to kind of tweak this game to your likings, so that's why I was able to maybe get into it so much. Yeah, the timer stuff is weird, and it 
Like, I understand what they were going for, but maybe it didn't quite hit. Yeah, they like, wanted to force a more offensive game, <laughs> and yeah, that's the way... That was their solution, was just, oh, there's timers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing I really like is, like, some of the new classes, like Shinobi, I think they're called, or maybe that's the mod version. There's a class with a laser sword yes. that is just so fun to use at high levels because they get a move that's, like, if any enemy runs up to them, they'll just slash them automatically yep. and, like, get free turns and stuff <laughs> off of that. So, like, with some good positioning, like, they'll just be able to run into, a, like, three or four enemies and just kill them all by, like, slash kill, free turn, slash kill, free turn, slash kill, free turn, like, just chain That's some cool together. final, that's some Final Fantasy tactic shit, yeah. I feel like. But, like, it's a game that is so high stakes where, like, if you mess up and they get shot, they're just done. Yeah, that's it. Because, <laughs> like, rescuing people would be such a nightmare if you screw it up and like there's limitations like each slash will do like half half damage as the previous so like you can't really go completely insane but it's well balanced i think yeah yeah so i i got super into that game for like a month yeah i i, so, I remember all the neptunia heads i remember and that. the neptunia stuff i got out of that game what i wanted from hyper devotion noir like that's fair that's fair game. that's fair <laughs> So, Polly, what, what's your number four? We spent one entire podcast episode this year talking about it. It's uh, Sonic Mania! Sonic God. Mania! Damn, you nailed it. Yeah, I uh, Sonic Mania was kind of just out of... Like, I wouldn't really say out of nowhere, but it's a game that I think ultimately won me over. Uh, Wait. Simply because, like... At my very core, I, I do like a good 2D Sonic game, right? And, um, you know, just like getting to go back to Oil Ocean again. And I really wanted to go back to Green Hill again because I fucking <laughs> love Green Hill Zone. It's not Sonic Mania at I, all. You got me again, Jesus Christ. Once you said, I, well, I really love going back to Oil Ocean again. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> It took me till you said Green Hill, and then I'm like, oh, the jig is up. The jig is up. You fucking got me again, though, Jesus Christ. Got you with Mighty Number no. 9 last year. Got you oh, with Sonic I, Mania I, this year. I am too forgiving. You're so too gullible. Trusting. I am. You're such a dumb-dumb, right? Oh. You're, you're an adorable dumb-dumb. That's what, that's what makes you so adorable. I'm a huge dumb-dumb, though. You're a huge dumb-dumb. Uh, my number four is her lullaby. I mean, like we spent <laughs> we spent an entire fucking episode talking about her lullaby, um, and why that game's important, and why that game's special, uh, and and why creatively between me and John, it's like one of the coolest things that I've ever had the privilege of working on. It's my favorite creative endeavor that I have put out online for people to enjoy. So. Yep, that's my number four. That's a really good choice, I think. Um, someone I would, I would someone played through that game. Not biased whatsoever. No, not Someone played through that game yesterday and tweeted about it at me. Just like, oh, cool. oh I love this. Talk, I love Taco. She's my girlfriend. So it's, it's had like a weird longevity where people keep playing. Yeah, it's had a good tale to it. Because like, just I mean, a couple just... of months ago, somebody was streaming it. And it was just like, mm-hmm. wow, this is kind of crazy. Wasn't that because mm-hmm. it finally got listed on that database? The visual novel database <laughs> thing, yeah. 
like people actually know it exists now instead of just being a thing hosted on your website. Yeah. Yeah. I have heard exactly two people say that who both played and enjoyed Doki Doki Literature Club say that they liked her lullaby more. Oh, I guess Rhett too technically now. See, this is yeah. all the validation in the world that we could ever need. That's it's free. <laughs> it's free. finally Fox come Fox. at the end of the year. We started Fox this journey. Fox. We started this journey a year ago. And we're <laughs> finally here. It's finally over. We did it. We got all the validation we need. Hey, Polly, that's a really good game we made. I'm very Yeah, proud of it. it's pretty <laughs> awesome. It's a thing I'm most proud of, too. Yeah. It's a great I think game. It's pretty amazing. Hey, thanks for putting it on. Thanks for putting it on the list, y'all. Yep. Cool. Cool. All right, which one's next? I think it's a reader list for me. Yep. 14. 14. Where's that? Here, I got you right here. <clears throat> Jave here. Recent podcast listener and non-participant in group activities. Number three, Flinthook. It's a game with its share of problems, but when the simple act of moving around feels this damn good, all is forgiven. Been there, Jave. Number two, Persona 5. Persona 5 had some pretty big shoes to fill and kind of fell short of expectations, but hey, that's going to happen when you follow a showstopper. That doesn't take away from some great moments, expertly crafted dungeons, and style for days. Someone at Atlas clearly loves the Fender Roads as much as I do. Number one, Near Automata. Damn, just dot, dot, dot. Yep. Yep, that game's pretty incredible. Wait, I was doing a pause, Polly. Just dot, dot, dot. Damn. I played this game from a fresh save to ending three, ending E three times already, and it still felt fresh every time. I feel bad for the back half of 2017 because absolutely nothing, not even Mario Odyssey, stood a chance at upstaging the one-two punch of Nier and Persona. P.S. Mario Odyssey is pretty bad, but after about 320 moons, I think I'm good. He said pretty rad. I thought she said pretty bad right there. No, rad. He said okay. rad. Or right. they said just wanted to clarify that. I okay. don't. I don't know that. I don't and know any gender associated with Jave. Oh, true. <laughs> so yeah. Um. Yeah. Next one's yours, Listret. Yep. Okay. This one comes in from Vanner Orion. So strap yourself. Oh right. Wow. Time to get comfy. <laughs> uh, get yourself comfy. I'll uh, mute myself and blow my nose, and you go ahead and read this. <laughs> okay. Get yourself comfy because the first game on this list, they're not numbered, is Stardew Valley. I really enjoyed Rune Factory Frontier for the Wii, and while this game isn't quite as in-depth in some ways compared to that, it's a very solid and addicting farm-slash-life-slash-combat game. I opted for the wilderness, be accosted by supernatural shit constantly farm, because I always have to do shit the hard way. I struggled to get the hang of the game at first. It's deceptively full of depth, yet very streamlined and easy to get lost inside despite seemingly not having a lot to it. Whoever made this game should pat themselves on the back. They did very well. I should look to see if there's any mods that add on top what the game already has to offer, since when I married Abigail, that was pretty much the end of the game for me. Second game I haven't heard of this is called The Technomancer. Quote, Hey, this game is on sale on Steam. I heard it wasn't bad for what it was. Holy shit, this game is fucking awesome! End quote. Seriously, if I had known this game was as good when it came out, I'd have paid the full price for it instead of the discount I got on Steam a few weeks ago. It's like if Mass Effect and Arkham Asylum fucked and had a baby. This game is an active. This game is a hybrid action RPG. 
It's made by a bunch of French people, apparently. And if and apparently between this, Fury, and Synthwave, the French know how to make a video game and music better than the U.S. does right now. There's a lot of depth to this game. The lore is interesting. The voice acting is solid. Leveling is fast and meaningful. And the combat is very satisfying. There's a lot of customization here, despite being a middle market game. Honestly, this post mo- puts most modern games with their microtransaction bullshit to... Si- to s- microtrans- microtransaction Come on. bullshit... Too shame. Jesus. Check it out. I am so... I had to do a presentation, so I, I can't talk much right now either. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and Polly's sick, and I had two job interviews today. Okay. I'm, we're doing great. I'm horrible <laughs> at reading stuff. I, I make no apologies for that. Okay, third game on the list. Hyper Metroid. Hey, look. Another year and another Metroid ROM hack I'd rather play at, play than the actual licensed Metroid title that got released in the same year. Shots fired! <laughs> Me and a friend have been on a retro gaming kick lately, and he'd been playing a Metroid ROM hack called Super Metroid Zero Mission. In the process of banging my head against that, I came across a long play of a ROM hack called Hyper Metroid, done in one sitting, which sold me on checking it out for myself. This ROM hack, from a technical perspective, is extremely impressive. It does for Super Metroid what AM2R did for Metroid 2. Oh, Super Metroid is too easy? Well, have fun getting your ass kicked now, wimp. Think the game wasn't big enough compared to the original? Well, it's at least 100% larger now. Read on sprites, environments, bosses are tougher new reworked game mechanics, and it's a completely new take on the story of Samus Aran, and actually kind of takes the dumb story shit from Fusion and Other M, and makes it a lot more appropriate, and turns it into a weird version of Metroid Kill Bill. The fuck? <laughs> I might have to look at interesting. this. I might have to look yeah. at this. Yeah. I'm really, excited. I'm really interested in Metroid Rogue Dawn, which is another Ron That Hunt's game's game. real good. Cool. This I got... Looks neat too. I played... The one John just mentioned, it got extremely lost in a water level, like, immediately, so that's right up your alley. (laughs) Excellent. Cool. All right. Cool Metroid game. Cool Metroid fan games is neat. All right, I think mine's next. Yep. You're number three. All right, this is my only other um, cheat entry. Um, But I think it's one that y'all can forgive. It's Danganronpa 1 and Danganronpa 2. I'll allow it! Yeah. Hey, y'all, these games are real good. They're yeah. real good. Yeah. Yeah. Don't I want to go ahead. I want to take a minute, though. I want to <laughs> take one minute, Take though. yourself a little minute here. Let's take, let's all take a second. All right. Because you know what? Dungarapo 1 is really good. Yeah, it's 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 pretty good. Okay, but Danganronpa two. Okay, take eight. Take that. Take zip your mouth. Throw the key in the garbage. Danganronpa one is really good. It's really like, good. Everyone's like, oh, we need to qualify this with like part two is so much better. <laughs> Danganronpa one is really good. Yeah, like I, yeah, I'm gonna agree with you here. <laughs> okay, good. Just wanted to put that out there. Like, um. I think one just kind of has a couple fewer like moving parts to it, um, so when the big moments hit, there's like a sort of complete clarity to it that yes. two maybe sacrifices a little bit of in the pursuit of being way big, way more ambitious and bigger with its catharsis, which is probably stronger. Yeah, um, but Danganronpa one, um, like with the way like. 
Red said, like Fresno said, that Dynarampa V3 was like a perfect conclusion to the series. I feel like every single game is a perfect conclusion to the series. Yeah, yeah. You can stop <laughs> at any time and be mm-hmm. totally satisfied with the story that you got. Mm-hmm. So, like, Dynarampa's one's ending is kind of singular and perfect and very well put together yeah. in a way that I really admire. Um, it's got probably it's got some of the messiest politics probably with chapter two and whatnot but that was also my favorite character so yeah yeah it's kind I of really bad like... that all the spin-offs and stuff that exists after the first game kind of diminishes the takeaway of that the ending of the first game a little bit though yeah yeah because now yeah. there are the answers are out there yeah yeah you know i have only played one and two which feels pretty good we got three though and i'm gonna enjoy that eventually um so yeah i i i I wanted to take a moment to like since it's been well established that these games are very good i want to take a moment to like you don't just play one so that you can appreciate two you play them both because they're both really fucking good video games yeah even though they're obviously companion pieces Mm -hmm. they're both still very valid in their own right yeah i really like that the first game stands on its own. I think the second game does rely on the first one. Yeah. To subvert it, basically. And I think it's it's got a lot of moving pieces, and you you maybe lose a little bit of the clarity when you have that have that much stuff going on. Um, whereas Danganronpa One, when you have hope bullets, you know kind of exactly what that is for the story. Um, but I still probably like Danganronpa Two a little bit better because it is extremely good. <laughs> yeah, it's extremely good. Like that, um, Danganronpa 2's climax just fucking goes for it. <laughs> yes. Yep. God, it does. Oh it my came God. so close to taking no, my that's moment wrong. of the year away from Nier. That was probably that's why mine was the no, that's wrong in Danganronpa 2's climax. Oh, so good. good. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, the way that Danganronpa 2. All right, so the, I think the biggest, like, um, my other big takeaway thing was, like, I played a lot of Danganronpa 2, and they have a character that is so, like, appealing and so good and good and oh, sweet no. and cute that I was just, like, that it started to feel a little bit, like, artificial. Like, uh-huh. oh, this char- this person is just kind of, this is almost pandering. Like, yeah. oh, you're just Wait. trying to make the most appealing character possible. And then they... Actually, that turned out to be a major part of the story, is this character being perfect. So, just kind of A-plus writing all around. Danganronpa's extremely good. Yeah. They killed my favorite character, like, four times. <laughs> <laughs> That's a running trend I've noticed. Yeah, well, usually they just kill them once. <laughs> yeah, my favorite I, character... Holly will usually... know what I'm talking about, yeah. though, with other characters dying more than once yeah <laughs> my favorite characters usually end up suffering a, a fate worse than death <laughs> don rap is extremely good Rhett's what what Rhett, what's your number three honest to god do you want to know what my number three is well, yes number three it's don't drop a trigger happy havoc and don't two goodbye despair hey <laughs> i didn't realize john had played those this year for some reason I played- I finished um, Danganronpa Trigger Happy Havoc on like New Year's Day, and then uh, I played, and then I immediately played the second one. 
So they then they were. It's like I finished the year, and it's like, oh, here's number one for the year. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good way to start. Yeah, that's a yep. damn explosive start to the year. Yup, that's a good year. You got anything to add, Rhett? What are your thoughts? Yeah, on? I'm not really sure what I can add, considering I pretty much just totally gushed about the second game on the last podcast we did, and like that whole ending being extremely good, and then the twists in chapter five of the second game, like being the most despair-filled shit I've ever seen ever. Oh, <laughs> God. Just twist the knife and keep twisting it. Just, like, the worst uh, possible. And they you set you up for that. They yeah. set you up for that. Had I watched the anime when we did the last podcast, Despair Arc? Uh-huh. I think so. Or you were in the middle of watching it. I, something like that. Well, it lived up to its fucking name of the Despair Arc. Despair. Even you think you're ready for it, you think you know where it's going, and then you don't, because nope. it's dank and romp, fucker. Because the moment comes when bad thing happens, and it's, oh, it's really, really bad. It's so much worse than I ever could have expected yeah. But that's not the games, and the, the games are also the games are extremely good, probably better than the anime, honestly. And the first game, yes, the first game is good, but I still kind of do see it as the setup to the second one, where it's like, oh, Danganronpa Two is like the Metal Gear Solid Two of visual novels. Danganronpa yeah, Two has Danganronpa Two has so many parallels yeah. with Metal Gear Solid Two that it's kind of fucking incredible. Yeah. More, yeah, it feel, starts to feel not intentional or not unintended, I guess, at some point. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, guys, you did the same thing where it's like you take what the preconceived notions are for the series based on the first game and then you throw them out the window in the most great ways. Yeah. Yeah. The trials in general in the second game are way better. That's oh, one of the God. things. Oh, kinda... The trials are so good. The first game's trials, especially. The first couple are very simple. It's yeah. just like, the second one just goes for it. Like, oh, you have no idea, friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those those games are very good, and I can't wait to play the third one. B- but the third one may also destroy me based on these user lists that are like, you're not ready. You're going to be betrayed and lied to and feel hurt and despair. And I guess after the anime, I should expect that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I feel. So, yeah, go um, ahead. one more thought on Dagarapa. I heard some criticism about it being so kind of broad with sort of what it's saying that it kind of isn't saying anything. Like with oh, what's hope conquer dis- hope conquering to despair even mean? Or in the first game or the second game, and I think I just wanted to say that I feel like there's a lot of value in taking a very clear and simple and anime catharsis like yeah. that. And then earning it by putting the characters, its characters, through the ringer for twenty hours. Yeah, like it's taking something very simple and then making you feel it very intensely. Yeah, and I think that's good storytelling. I think in twenty seventeen, we all know exactly what hope versus despair looks like. Oh God, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, Polly, what's your V three? Cough, cough. Well, right, you thought you were going to be clever by hinting at V3 and pointing me at my number three, didn't you? Uh Uh-huh. You thought you were. Well, Rhett, my number three is... 
The Legend of Heroes: Trails in the Sky, second chapter. Oh, this fuck game, yeah. this game is magical. Like, cool. Just the first game does so much to set up this second game that every moment of playing this game and getting closer and closer to your goal feels so rewarding and it's just like the thing that you're trying to reach is just getting closer and closer to your reach and then the game pulls it away just a bit more and it just mm. has this taunting of you this whole time and you get this great big moment of catharsis uh, around the three-fourths mark that feels so incredibly good. It's one of my favorite moments in video games ever. Um, and, and I won't spoil what it is. I will just say that uh, there's a thing that happens and a bunch of feelings happen. And it's just like they strung this thing out as far as they could. They almost stretched it to the point of breaking. <laughs> And then they finally let the rubber band snap back in, and you get your moment of this wonderful catharsis um, that means so much to the core of this series and this game as a whole. Um, and 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 from where the game goes from there, um, in terms of just characters, motivations, backgrounds, like everything, like this game's back half, everything starts spilling out at this rapid pace that is so not like the first half, uh, or it's not like, like the first chapter that's unfolding very slowly, and then like the first half of this game that is stringing you along, and then the back half of this game, it's just constantly smacking you with these fucking gut punches all over the place. Um, until it gets this great big fucking anime-ass uh, final <laughs> dungeon that'll take you like four or five hours to finish, while, <laughs> while you battle your way through these awesome story-driven bosses that like, you've spent this series, like, just butting heads with the whole time, and you're finally getting these conclusions, and it's just like, some are good, some are bad, like, you know, where do the cards ultimately fall, and then you get the big final anime-ass anime final <laughs> boss that feels so good, there's so yeah, much really. good music, like, you know what, this game fucking so good, like, you're I, selling me this pretty hard right now. Like, God, this, is so much shit. this is very much like, if you're the kind of person that really, like, loves Danganronpa 2, and you feel that you play oh. one, play one to get to two, this is very much the same thing with the Legend of Heroes first chapter going into second chapter. Um, <laughs> and the thing that really fucking got me about this game is not only its emotional core and its amazing writing, but I, I, I had said many times on this podcast... Like, you know, I don't have a need to play Trails in the Sky the Third. I've heard it's kind of ter <laughs> tertiary in the grand scheme of things. And there's this one little 45-second moment <laughs> that they slip into the ending and they, a, a thing happens and you're just like, wait, what? And it's just like, but you don't have to follow up on this if you don't want to. Because the, <laughs> because the game comes to a very very satisfying conclusion but there's just this little 45 second thing that happens on your way you know to that little final ending and it's just like son of a bitch 
I'm playing Trails in the Sky the third next year. Thanks to ta- <laughs> thanks to Taylor who actually recently just gifted me that out of the uh, the oh. sweetness of her heart. Um, this game left a huge impression on me. It is one of my favorite RPGs of all time. I am so glad that I stuck this series out because the first game was such a slow burn. <laughs> and it, it it took a while for me to really warm up to it and understand what it was doing because I'm just so used to RPGs moving faster. Yeah. And this is a game in a world that really wants you to live in it. Enjoy it. Talk to people. Enjoy the characters. Do the little quests. Yeah. They, so- let you, they yeah. give you a reason to hang out. Yeah, and it's just... Like, I'm so fucking thrilled that I got on this ride now, and I cannot wait to see where the third goes, and I look forward to having that big emotional moment that Chelsea talked about earlier in her list. Um, so, yeah, oh, yeah. This, this 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 little series I, I already know now is very, very special, and uh, I am definitely on board for Trails of Cold Steel afterward. So Cool. Yeah, The Legend of Heroes. Um, question. Yo. I'm in the middle. I just finished Chapter 2 in uh-huh. <laughs> Trails Trails 1. Yeah. So I'm still kind of kind of in the weeds there. But I, I really love just sort of existing in the world. Um, and I'm about halfway through. Um, does Trails 1 still kind of have a pretty satisfying little end point? I know it's not the end of the story, but does it The way okay? Trails 1 ends... You are going to immediately go buy Trails 2 as soon as you hit. As soon as that game's ending hits. Like, that game has got such a great ending beat. It's incredible. Trails 1. Trails 1's ending beat. You just got to trust me on this one, John. Trails 1's ending beat is so fucking incredible. It's just like, that's some big fucking balls you got there, Falcom. That's all I'll say. Okay. I have no idea what it is, but imagine being in that position when the game first came out and there was years uh, before yeah. the second got translated. Chelsea had to wait five uh, fucking years uh, for that moment of being able to boot up that second game finally. Like, I can't even imagine how fucking awesome that had to feel for her the first time. Yeah. And just never knowing if it was actually going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's just like looking at the story behind that game's localization and how like one of the lead translators nearly offed himself over it just because of the stress. Uh. It's it's it it got very dark. Um, but Exceed is really on the ball with that series now, and um, like Falcom seems to be taking the Western market a bit more seriously now. So I don't think we have to worry so much now about things getting done i think it's just it's just kind of matter of fact now that it will and that makes me happy because i'm a pretty big legend of heroes fan now uh because like these these two games themselves are just like they left a big fucking impression on me and they're fun to play too like i i spent so long talking about this games and you know like it's heart and emotional beat and it's fucking story and world. And it's just like, no, it's still fun. It's got, it's like, there's a lot of fun to be had here too with like the way you can customize your characters, ornaments and shit. And like, so it's still a solid RPG, but you come to these games because you, you want to fucking cry. 
<laughs> yeah, I think it it feels really taut in a cool way. Base like when you play any PS one RPG, um, you'll start it off, and then the main character's village will get destroyed by mechs, or they'll you'll blow up a power reactor, or you'll invade a town on ocean tanks, or an opera house will catch on fire. Um, and Trails is just fucking chill. Trails is just like, hey, Trails is just like, hey, you're gonna be, like, in the Bracer Guild, and you're gonna do some real basic-ass shit. Yeah. You are are going to be, you are going to be the background of the main story for, for of what's, of what's happening. Like, the machinations that are controlling the world are much bigger than you, and this game does not try to pretend that you are part of that bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And so in a way so in a way it kind of keeps alternating my head between, oh, this is a little boring and oh, this is the best PS1 RPG. Yeah, it's I just kind of the vibe it, Yeah, it can it can do that. The vibe and, it me. and again, I cannot thank the addition and implementation of turbo mode enough for helping me get yeah. back into this. Because like I had kind of stalled on a second chapter uh, earlier in the year, and then Turbo Mode got plunked in there, and as soon as it got plunked back in, like, I'd finished this, like, a week later. Awesome. Yeah, so, yeah. games are good. Legend of Heroes, Trails, Trails in the, the Sky, sky second chapter, that's my number three. What do you got up my Number next? three? Got two more after that. I know. Hey, how does it stack up against um, Legend of Heroes Dragon Slayer for the Turbo Graphics? <laughs> Shut up. <clears throat> okay. Oh, this is Frank's list. Cool. Um, number sixteen. Number sixteen reader list is um, Adamine Adamine six three four. Um, Frank's list. Um, number one, near Automata. I could go on about its seamless blend of shooting and three D combat. Its surprisingly apt integration of RPG mechanics, how it excels as a sensory experience, or its emotional logic and its story structure. Near Automata was my favorite Zelda game of twenty seventeen. Boom. Unaware of the first. Fired. Unaware of the first nearest connections to Ocarina, the game I was most reminded of while playing Nier Automata was Majora's Mask, a dark, dreary, recursive, existential adventure in an open world with an ever-shifting atmosphere whose greatest assets are its thematically consistent side quests. The side quests act as a sort of philosophical world-building, providing social commentary in a post-9-11 world. Nier Automata would have been a lesser game without them, and its world is one of the only besides Undertale where I was compelled to treat the NPCs as living creatures. It's one of my favorite 3D action games ever, and I go so far as to call Nier Automata one of the best open world games ever made. Um, I think that's cool. I played, I'm playing the first Nier right now, and it does actually give me some kind of Ocarina vibes. Yeah, it's um, very similar. Interesting. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, Nier Automata could have so very easily just been like a straight platinum game. And I feel like having that chill world sections in between that really adds to it a lot. Because yeah. the first year is like, what if you suck all the platinum out of it? You, and you just have <laughs> the chill and sad parts, and it's still good. <laughs> yeah, it's still good. A little janky. But, but that's yeah. Yoko Taro games. Yeah. I like it. All right. Number two. Maya's Mata. Miasmata or Miasmata is a serene, gentle, intense, and overall inspiring open-world immersive sim survival experience built from scratch by the technical artistry of a two-brother team. Ion Fix. It's like there's no vowel in the second word there. You play as a scientist dying of plague, searching for a cure on the island of Eden. 
Mia's modest strips the survival genre to its bare essentials. And unlike other immersive sims, you must pay attention to your body is a th- as your body is a thing with weight and momentum. Its cartography system requires you to triangulate your position by spotting line marks in the distance, developing a relationship to the map and the island while collecting plants and fungi, and rummaging through abandoned settlements. All of this makes for a relaxing experience, but the one danger on the island is a beast. Programmed after the behavior of their pet cat that randomly disappears and suddenly and without warning, transforming the experience into survival horror. Miasmata is one of the best open world games ever made and one of those beautiful games I've ever played. This sounds like hella game Your design. Jam. Yeah, it just feels meaty. Um, speaking, oh, this sounds my jam too. Number three is Everything is Going to Be Okay by Alien Melon, aka Natalie Lawhead. Everything's going to be okay is a nihilistic dark comedy zine where the author draws from her own life experiences to create a commentary on struggling through life. Its aesthetic is abstract and surreal, often disorienting, and topics range from depression, social rejection, dating, creative endeavors, anxiety, death, nihilism, termination, and so much more. If you've had to live under the weight of a trauma or live with the burden of mental illness or of life has just hurt you, you will find something to relate to in this game. It will sometimes be poignant and most other times hilarious. That's on. That's been on my list for a while too. Everything is going to be okay by Alien Melon. Good list, Frank. Again, two years running. Cool. Rat. Okay, this next list comes in from Rainiac. Greetings from Stanford, Connecticut. I mean Blackpool, England. Let's not mess busted. About. Let's not mess about. Here's my top three games of the year. Number three, Shovel Knight: Specter of Torment. Better than Plague of Shadows, in my opinion. Tighter controls. An intriguing story and some genuinely funny, lighter moments. Three words, kiss of death. Let's hope King of Cards ends the Shovel Knight saga on a high next year. Number two, Shantae, half-genie hero. The change in art style was off-putting for some, but personally I didn't mind it at all. The animal transformations make a return and are much better handled for the most part. And at no real point did I feel bored or fed up with the game, and the gameplay is super solid. Number one, Danganronpa V3. Woo! No game in 2017 has made me think more than Danganronpa V3. No game in 2017 has made me feel more than more than Danganronpa V3. An incredibly well-plotted story, jam-packed with twists and shocks, and as a bonus, the post-game content is the best in the series so far. A modern masterpiece. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Good shit. So I guess my number two is next. Number two. Fucking motherfucking motherfucker. All right, so every... Number one. So you know what? I thought that this was going to be another Undertale year where Mm -hmm. 2015 where one of us was going to get to pull the trigger and be the one that didn't put it at number one and everyone would be like, but that already (laughs) did that. So thanks for wrecking wrecking my moment. My number two is Nier Automata. Mm. Mmm. That's a very good game. That is. It is a very good game. A lot of people have mentioned it so far. Yeah. I know. It's. Yeah, it's. I played it after Final Fantasy XV, and it's much better than Final Fantasy XV. <laughs> um. Well, I, I did have it one slot a, ahead of Final Fantasy XV on my list. So. Yeah, that's, a, that's a fair thing to say. Um, God, I, I should have thought of like a specific moment that deeply resonated with me um the, the climax bit where it's the switching perspectives was just yeah. like kind of awe-inspiring it's, just as a game designer i'm I doing was... chef kissing his lips moment for that yeah, yeah. Like, wow 
perfect. <laughs> like that's so good. Yeah, they have the they have that which is like already probably just one of the best video like, game climaxes ever. It's like it's the platinum ending, and then there's two more endings. Yeah, it's it's absurd. Um, I don't. Know, I really like Nine S. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, think that, I think that's kind of what my, what I can cut going away from that. I really thought he was really interesting and fascinating. It was nice seeing someone who kind of exudes that soft boy aesthetic that is also a real shithead and like <laughs> very toxic masculinity sorts of ways. Yeah. Um, and just poking into that psyche was really interesting to me. And I can understand why some people would feel like it was poked into his psyche to the detriment of other characters, but um, I thought it was a really fascinating portrait. Um, oh, I know, and ending the... There's two There's two moments where the, the start of Root C&D oh, is yeah. just... That's that's the most game design oh. of the moment of the year to me, I think, because um, it's 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 the start of Near Automata two for one thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an absurdly good beginning to another act, and the way that they fuck with the language of the game and just use resistance for to like jumping up the difficulty basically in a way that is feels extremely unfair and taxing yeah um and then the way that sequence ends and the 20 and the title drop 20 hours in that's uh, the best fucking title drop yeah so and like that was it's kind of like, oh, now I have a really clear example of... It was frustrating to me when folks kept hating it because it was like this extremely clear example of how you can use this sort of language that I value in a lots of like tiny weird shit. Yeah. Um, and then here's Nier Automata just effortlessly, effortlessly. Effort- that is using- the thing about Automata is everything it does feels fucking effortless it does yeah. it, it strides into every single decision it makes with such gigantic balls that it's incredible yeah it's using the lang. it's using the language of video games it's using writing and music it's using like the, the start of root cnd is like a really straightforward example where that everything is just firing on all cylinders in this amazing way. Yeah. Um, and then it just builds to its extremely cathartic climax. Um, and I remember unlocking the chapter select and thinking that, Oh great. I'm going to feel obligated to go back and do all these side quests. And then the game had an answer to that too. So it's, it's really pretty perfect. I really loved near automata. I and it's my first, yes. I chose yes to. I, I mean, I kind of, yeah. So, <clears throat> Rat, what's your number two? Just to add to that, though, it does sure. things that like you can only do in a game. Like that part you're talking about, the start of Route C. It's like that works because this is a video game. Yeah, this yeah. is a story that can only be told because it By is a video being game. interactive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and go ahead, Rat. 
watching Polly get mad at everybody all year, not getting that sequence. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, my I got God. so mad. No, like, every time it happened, I have my um, my Vextro peeps. Um, yeah, I would do that every time. I would, go, I would just, I would like, pop in and I would play. throw a big old DM at Rhett. It's like, motherfuckers are too goddamn <laughs> stupid to appreciate this game's genius. <laughs> hey, sorry, podcast listeners. Devoted podcast listeners and hey. personal friends. We love you. We love you, but you're stupid. we <laughs> got a lot of Game of the Year user list nominees. Like, I think it's fine. Yeah. People you know that out. anything said like that is in jest. I would never say that. I know. Yeah. Absolute, hugs. Absolute hugs and loves. Um, <laughs> hey, and also, it also um, I played a game called Banshee's Last Cry that did, does a branching story structure that I found very bad. Um, <laughs> it spends like basically three hours building up this mystery, and then you get kind of a resolution, and then it branches out into a bunch of different stories where the mystery has completely different answers and the story events change so there's no big it's by the 999 folks but there's no big cathartic true end beat or anything and it got me thinking about how basically the undertale near automata vlr doki doki literature club Y um thing with like the branching paths and endpoints but that all ultimately tie together into like these big and perfect and singular climaxes um, is like one of the most powerful story structures ever. Um, and it's just resulted in some of the most beautiful and affecting games ever. And so Nier Automata played a part in that kind of, that realization of something that I personally didn't realize I was really playing into. So that's cool too. Cool. Right. What's your number two? Okay. Uh, this is the year that, I had the hardest time choosing between two and one this year. And I actually swapped these just before we started recording. <laughs> oh, shit. The so, last oh, shit. minute switch. The betrayal. So for like the last month, this was my number one. But I decided at the last second to go with my gut. So uh, without further ado, a game I've talked about on the podcast a bit, maybe... Is Witcher Three I... Wild Hunt yeah. Game of the Year edition? <laughs> cool. And I'm not sure what else I can say about this because I've dedicated like the last five yeah, episodes like, talking about it. This has been a saga. Yeah, and the saga is finally over here. But basically, this is like probably the best RPG I've ever. Well, it's a really good RPG. I mean, I don't want to disrespect like Chrono Trigger or anything, but like Western RPGs maybe probably my favorite ever. And it's like. This is such a fucking massively huge game, but it never got remotely boring for me. Like the quality content is just so consistently high that I just couldn't think about playing anything else while I was in this world. Cause at first I was like, uh, I'll give it like 20 hours, finish the first area and then I'll maybe play something else to kind of recharge. And I just kept going back to Witcher three. And then I finished the main game <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take a month off and play something else. And then after a week, I was just like, I really just, I really just want to play the DLC for Witcher 3. So I went back and played the first one, and I just went back into the second one and just played this game for like two months straight without ever remotely getting bored. And this, the second DLC is like incredibly good. It's like actually a really good open world game at that point. Because mm -hmm. the first 
like the main game is mostly story driven and quest stuff and then so mm-hmm. for them to turn it into like a fun open world game where you're like you're exploring and stuff now and like it's just it's remarkable what an achievement that game is yeah, definitely. Like, like really just having cool. here, like it's not a game that I would ever play. Like, it's not yeah. a poly game, but I, I definitely understand why people like that game. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like uh, that first area. Like every area kind of has its own theme. So the first one is this area that's been ransacked by war and famine, and it's all shitty there. So the side quests in that area are very in the same ballpark as the side quests in the air. Like, they kind of make mm-hmm. you feel like shit when you finish them. Yeah. But the mm-hmm. game doesn't dwell on that the entire time, which is good, because I don't think it could. Like, that would get super old after 100 hours. Mm-hmm. So, like, the second area is more like... The, there's a theme of racism ve- that plays very heavily into it as well. And there's mm-hmm. like This game is very good at kind of exposing the best and worst of humanity. So the second area, the main story at the start there is like, oh, the witches are being persecuted. You've got to help them out. So then you help them all flee the city, and you're like, okay, everything's going to be cool now. And you go back, and they're like, oh, yeah, since all the witches left, now everyone is being super racist toward the, towards the elves and dwarves. And there's, like, hanging bodies and, like, a massacre has happened, and you're like, oh, fuck. Well, that's, that's bad. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And it's like, hmm, we got to do something about that king and maybe overthrow power when things are out of control and like there's just so many political machinations happening in this game like the scope of this game is kind of nuts yeah and like the third area is like a series of islands and you have a boat and it's like it turns into wind waker for a bit where you're just sailing around for like 20 minutes like that game is it's wild (laughs) the wild hunt maybe pun of the year boom and like the ending sequence is also pretty anime over the topness awesome and and I, i got the good ending thank god because I was very happy with the ending I got, and then I w- looked up the bad ending and was just like, oh my god, I'd feel like such shit after it if I got that one. Because yeah. the game is very subtle about what triggers each of the endings. Mm. Like, it's not super obvious. Mm-hmm. But then in the second DLC, I talked about this already, I did get the bad ending, but it felt super appropriate for that world, I think. Like, not everything turning into a fairy tale happy ending. Yeah. It's like, oh, shit didn't work out this time, but you did your best, I guess. Have a badge. Yeah. So, Polly, what choice? Oh, wait, I I had one thought. I had one thought with Witcher 3. Yeah. Um, I saw somebody the other day say something to the effect of, like, if your game is over 40 hours long, then you fucked up. Yeah, this is the game that makes me know that's not true, because... Yeah, because if you build, you can tell a really big, long story that's affecting and involving by building it out of smaller stories. And it sounds like Witcher 3 is full of smaller stories that are really good. Yeah, that's definitely... Like, there's a big overarching story, but then, like, a lot of it is chasing after this one character and kind of going through their footsteps to figure out where they've been. So it's like, oh, you visit this character and they have a whole kind of story arc that's really Mm -hmm. good. Then you go over here and there's a whole other... This game is definitely more than just, like, one long story. It's many, many smaller story arcs. it's like TV. Yeah. Yeah, each area is kind of each season. Or a fantasy novel. (laughs) Yeah, or it's like this game is based off of a fantasy novel series that's like eight books long. Yeah, exactly. And then and this game goes valid. weirdly out of its way to conclude some plot lines from those books because it's a sequel. <gasps> Fuck, that's funny. All right, sorry. 
Sorry, I interrupted. Okay. Polly, what's your number two? My number two has been talked about a lot already mm-hmm. by everybody, uh, like from uh, from the guest lists to, um, and um, it's kind of hard for me to know really what to say about it at this point <laughs> that hasn't been said because Jack yeah. Two. Th- there you go, nailed it. <laughs> uh, it's it's Continue. it's Danganronpa V three Killing Harmony. Oh. Um, I absolutely, I got a lot out of this game. Um, uh, There's a theme with a lot of games on the lists uh, this year that I feel that when those games conclude, they're talking about way more than just themselves or their own worlds. Um, They're talking about things that go far beyond just even video games um, or just the very machinations of the kind of fiction that we involve ourselves with um, and ask, you know, and letting us ask ourselves important questions about that. And like, what does that ultimately mean? I think that that's a common theme that if you look at things like Doki Doki Literature Club um, Near Automata, her lullaby, other game, like in like the Danganronpa series, of course. Like, I, I think that that's a real big common theme that I noticed in a lot of entries this year, and I think that this is the one that kind of hits me the most. And when uh, the final bits, it, it's not even like the revelations of this game. Those aren't what stick out to me. I think that they are great revelations. I think that it makes for a great Danganronpa story. But this game has a way of winding itself down in its final, final moments that really spoke to me as somebody uh, who enjoys a lot of fiction, who likes to indulge in creating fiction, and is somebody who helped put together something they're very proud of this year. I think that Danganronpa V3 Killing Harmony, on top of just being this great mystery game that everybody's talking about with these fun characters and this awesome, you know, plot line that it drags itself out over the course of over 50 hours. I, I think the things that stuck with me most were just a lot of the validating things that I got from uh, this game's ending and why I think that if this is the end of the Danganronpa series, I think that it is perfect because it's something that I feel isn't written by committee. Uh, it was, this is definitely something that came from somebody, uh, and it came from a personal place. Um, and I feel the final moments of this game, uh, that, that it's, that it's wanting to have with you are very similar to a lot of the moments that you see in a lot of the other games that we've mentioned already. Uh, and that's why Danganronpa V3 uh, is very, very uh, important to me. Uh, just because of how it validated a lot of the things that I think. Um, and how it's just like, oh, okay, maybe I am approaching certain things the the right way. If somebody else is having this conversation with me and seeing it this way so that was that was a really cool uh important thing and there's a lot of honesty i think uh and you know divisive as this game is um i see that divisiveness the same way that i see the divisiveness over zero time dilemmas uh conclusion and that i think people are either 
unintentionally or intentionally missing the point because it's not the ending that they wanted. And mm-hmm. Danganronpa is not about giving anybody anything they want. That's an entire series that has spent its entire running time directly defying the player. Um, and I think that the moments in which Danganronpa V3 steps up and does that and continues to subvert in the same way that Danganronpa 2 subverts 1, I think 3 subverts the first two games in and of themselves in a very fun and interesting way, uh, along with saying a lot of really cool and important things. So that's how I feel. That's how I feel about Danganronpa V3 killing Harmony. Cool. cool. Some kind of parallels with Zero Time Dilemma there. Yeah, it, 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 it's very similar. Like, I feel the same way... When I finished this, I felt the same way that I felt when I finished um, Zero Time Dilemma and that this all makes total sense to me. I can look back over the story and see all the things that were that were choreographed and I understand what they were pointing out to me all along. And it, it just all fucking clicks. Good shit. Awesome. Yeah, Zero Time Dilemma and Zero Escape in general was another one where I kind of just warmed up over the course of the year, I think. So. Yeah. It took me, like, a bajillion years to get you to fucking play Zero Time Dilemma. It worked. I, I did. And it was good. And now we gotta get Rhett on that Zero uh, that zero Escape train. And it, too. I think they'll like yeah. it a lot, too. Yeah. Zero Escape's good, Rhett. I, I, I definitely I know. like it. I had, to, I, had to, I had to stew for a bit. Because I put it, I put like DLR and nine 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 like number ten last year. Yeah, and then didn't include ZTD this time. Um, but they're real fucking good. I really like them, and I really like Danganronpa. VNs are good. These kinds of stories. These kinds of stories are doing a lot. Have done I'm a glad lot for that us these kinds personally. of stories like have a place now, and that it's viable to release these kinds of stories here now. I, I'm mm-hmm. glad that that's a thing. Yeah. I guess um, next is reader list number 18, right? Yep. 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 Well, the thinking about Dying Rap and all that got me a little bit emotional. Um, <clears throat> Carmichael McCallus. Number three, Smashing the Battle. A fun little 3D beat-em-up. Fairly simple, very cheesecakey. Levels are largely the same, but it was still a lot of fun to play. That's cool, Carmi. I like this game. It was silly. It's a, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Car- didn't you talk about? Did you talk about it? I, uh, I don't think I talked about it on the podcast. No, but uh, Carmi gave this to me. Uh, nice. I want to say last year uh, for Christmas, uh, but yeah, like uh, I ended up playing this quite a bit. It is a fun, silly little brawler that it's got some real simple controls, easy to pick up and play, some simple upgrade mechanics. It's fun. Awesome. Cool. Cool. Number two. Super Dimension Neptune versus the Sega Hard Girls. Mm. Full of flaws, but I still enjoyed it, and the humor is still the same net brand humor I love. Yeah, it hurt leaving this off yeah. of my list. It did, but I just I didn't enjoy playing it, and unfortunately. Just... The story carries that game yeah. way too much. Like yeah. the combat does not pull its share this time. Mm-hmm. Number one. Shantae. The whole franchise, really, but Pirate's Curse takes the lead here. Yeah! I just did the little, <laughs> I did the chef's kiss thing. Humor is good, gameplay is fun, and they're all rather pretty as well. Glad I played them. Honorable mention, Princess Remedy in a heap of trouble. Yeah. Always good here for those January Mark plugs. <laughs> um, another year done. 
Thanks again for all the SoxCasts. They're always a blast to listen to, and they always help lift my mood whenever I listen to them. I hope everyone takes care of themselves this holiday season, and with any luck, 2018 will be better. With any luck, 2018 will be better. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's just go in with as much hope as we can. Yeah. Like, hope versus despair. <laughs> we really need it right now. I need a hope bullet. Yep. All right, Brett. Reader list number 19. Okay, this final list comes in from Luis slash Door Curtain. Number three, Near Automata. Some of the best games to come out always utilize their medium to the fullest while crafting their story, and Near Automata is one of the best examples of that. We've all seen in Red War stories, but the feeling of constantly being blindsided by the unknown, relenting enemy forces, and a growing pit in your stomach that everything you've, you're doing is pointless anyway because you lack total constant total context for every, everything is amplified tenfold when you play a war story like this one. Of course, the war is but a backdrop. You may or may not enjoy the kinky android designs, but everyone will take something away from this incredibly existential spin on the concept of robots striving to be human. I definitely did for the record. Yep. As seeing them <clears throat> continue. As seeing them make an effort to be human is infinitely more interesting than the usual can robot be human stories we see ad nauseum. I can still hear Tubi going, this is never going to end, during one of the most difficult endgame sections, which sums up the whole experience. God. Number two. Has this game been mentioned yet? I can't believe it. Number two. The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. What? This is the right. first fucking... This is the first mention of that game. I'm kind of shocked. I know Mario got a few mentions. No one talked Whoa. about Breath of the Wild. Wow. That's crazy. That one wore off. I'm still really okay. excited. <laughs> Breath of the Wild. I think this game, as John likes to put it, succeeds where it counts. It is a game of little kids. Is the game little kids think of when they imagine a video game about adventure, where in-game collectibles aren't growing, aren't glowing orbs, but actual tangible objects that have more uses than simply consuming them, where it actually is possible to go to something you see in the distance without any story gating or invisible walls barring your way, where instead of being unable to cross a gap because I don't have the hookshot yet, I can just chop down a nearby tree and use it as a bridge like someone with common sense would think to do. I can climb, glide, run, swim, and as of the DLC, bike my way through criminally beautiful and fully realized landscape just to see what's there, and what's there is often breathtaking. It is everything Ubisoft open-world games aren't. My Breath of the Wild take is that I replayed Ocarina of Time this year, and I liked it, and I never want to play a game like that ever again. So <laughs> Breath of the Wild like isn't time. like that. Yeah. So it's it's automatically the best one in forever. This game is like all overworld and no dungeons. Good. And good, good. Oh, my God. Gameplay physics oh. systems. Oh, God, I'm so excited. Oh, it's good. It's It's automatically good. <laughs> and finally, num- number one, Danganronpa V3, Killing Harmony. Yeah. Danganronpa 2, Goodbye Despair, is probably the better game overall, but I got more out of the ending to this game than the entirety of Danganronpa 2. V3 is a pretty dan- pretty good Danganronpa game for the most part, with the usual shocking twists here and there, as it went through yet another permutation of talented high schoolers being driven to kill each other. But this game felt unnecessary, as Danganronpa 2 had ended so well, so it's a good thing that the ending is one of the best I've ever seen in a game. I won't spoil what happens, you'll have to play for yourself to find out, but even though I accurately predicted what the ending would be, I was still floored and jumping up and 
up and down in my seat with glee that they went there. The message at the end was powerful enough to make it my game of the year. I have Zelda, an amazing feat in my opinion, and everyone who doesn't like the ending of this game, they just don't get it. Boom. I'm with Luis on that. Cool. Badass. So here it is. Oh, man. It is time to break it on down. Oh, this is going to hit hard. John Fire. You know what time it is. It's time to let us in on your... Let me take take a moment. Okay. Um, If I didn't already have a perfect choice for this, um, I definitely would have just bullshitted y'all two years in a row and put the Adventure Zone as my number one. Oh my god, I would have fucking jumped over this table into my monitor through the internet and been like, that's not a video game, dude. <laughs> it's a game. I would have kind invalidated of. it. Uh, I would have invalidated like, nope, you're done. Think it, think it over again, <laughs> fucker. Right. Just to be clear, Adventure Zone is an 80-hour, the first arc, the first season, is an 80-hour um, pot set of podcasts that encompasses one overarching story of the McElroy brothers playing Dungeons and Dragons, and I am almost done re-listening to it now. Um, it's one of my favorite stories ever. It's absolutely beautiful, and I love it. Um, and it's really, really fucking funny. Um, I think everyone should probably listen to the Adventure Zone. It's very good. Um, my number one is um, it's Yume Nikki. Oh. Yep. Um. This is an RPG maker game um, that came out early in the zeros. Um, and it has no dialogue. Um, you're just exploring the dreams of the avatar character Madatsuki. Uh, Madatsuki. And it's just this one big giant dream world that you explore. Um, it starts out in a hub world with 12 doors. And you go behind the doors, and there are these worlds. And the more you poke into them, the more you realize that that you find connections between these worlds. So there's 12 doors at the start, but the worlds behind those doors connect. So you can go through one door and eventually come back out the other. Um, Kind of like Dark Souls. (laughs) (laughs) And I played this game in, in the dark alone, generally. Um, I kept a detailed diary of the spaces as I explored them. Um, There's 25 doodads to collect throughout the game, and if you find all the doodads, then you can beat the game! Um, (laughs) And I went out of my way to try to find as many as I could without peeking in any guides. Um, And I found, like, 21 of 25, which I thought was pretty nuts. So I had, like, like, thousands and thousands of words of diary entries on exploring this world basically um probably spent five ten hours ten hours on it um poking around um one of the recurring locations is um after you get there's like the first level of every room and then you get a couple levels deep and then a lot of the areas connect to this big big um red maze and there's a couple characters wandering it that if they touch you, they kill you, which just teleports you to a spot, an inescapable spot, forcing you to wake up and restart the dream. Um, those are there are NPCs like that every now and then. Um, 
and this red maze has this giant this complete droning sound in the background there's no music and it's just massive like you've never played an rpg with a maze this tremendous and labyrinthine i think uh, with just no variation and it's just droning so i would be wandering it for like 10 to 15 minutes at a time trying to find my way to a specific way through um and it's a very harrowing video game because i think it's all kind of about trauma and probably abuse to an extent um and over and over while playing it sitting in the dark i just said oh this sucks oh this sucks oh this sucks oh this sucks and there's just this deep hurting going on in the spaces of Yume Nikki and you feel it more and more the more you dig into the dream and once once I tapped into that it was just painful to keep playing I didn't have to know what happened to Maratsuki to know that she got a raw deal and when I finished it and there's no catharsis um it just left me hoping that her next dream is a kinder one. Aww. So I really, Yuminiki really resonated with me, and I think it's a very affecting story that speaks in a in a language that I haven't really seen a lot of games speak. Um, and I, yeah, I think it is definitely an important game, and it deserves being brought up a whole bunch the way it has i think so yeah i feel very good about that being my number one i'm glad it wasn't the adventure zone <laughs> i know i'm glad it wasn't i'm <laughs> well no i kind of I'm a little bummed but yeah doing that right after homestuck would have been too much i think <laughs> yeah you'd have been pushing got... my patience at that point <laughs> also it has an earthbound area did you like and the it... earthbound area I did like the Earthbound area. I mapped it out just like I mapped out everything. And then I got deeper and deeper into it because it keeps fucking going and going deeper and deeper. And then I popped out and I was out one of the other doors. And I didn't even realize I had gone into one of those areas. I was just, it was, I felt like I was at the bottom of, you know, the fucking um, demon ruins. And then I just popped out at the, Firelink trial in the Firelink area, and it was yeah. completely threw me for a loop. I think in a really meaningful way. I can't help but think that that the, the big red maze in Yume Nikki it was also an inspiration for part of atop the Witch's Tower with the big maze towards the end. Yeah, probably. that's what I thought. Yeah, I think so actually. Well, wait, I'm. When did I make that? You... I think I might have made that. I think I might have made that before um, I played Yumi Nikki, actually. Oh, but it, they, it yeah. seemed inspired to me. So mm-hmm. but, yeah, the difference it's... is that in Witch's Tower, you can see the whole maze, which makes it you know infinitely easier. Yeah, yeah. The one in yeah. Yumi Nikki is so zoomed in, you can't see a damn thing. And it's like it's maybe the max map size and yeah. infinite and loops on both sides. It yeah. is like if you're buying into the fiction, it is completely. 
harrowing to be in it. <laughs> like, I was dreading it, but not in a way where I was bored. I was just miserable. <laughs> right. I think you okay. a number one. So I bounced between my one and two, like swapping spaces a lot. And eventually I went with this as my number one because I wanted the game that spoke to me the most personally mm-hmm. for my number one instead of like, oh, Witcher 3 is probably like the better video game. But this game meant more to me personally. And I started this list with Momodor, which I described as a Metroidvania that evokes Dark Souls. <laughs> uh, my number one is Hollow Knight. That's, yeah. 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 Which is a Metroidvania that evokes Dark Souls. Fucking Dark Souls. We come but full circle. Dark Souls all the way down. It's also like way, way longer than Momodor, which is like exactly what I wanted. So, okay, let's back up a bit, though. Uh, in 2014 or so, I played a game called Cloud Built, which has really fun movement. And I think that was right around the time I was, like, trying to finish or finishing up uh, Bullet Phase. Yeah. And I started thinking, like, oh, I want to make a Metroidvania or, you know, kind of exploration platformer thingy myself sometime as, like, my next project. Like, one that's actually built around being just one big, huge maze. Like, Hunters was intentionally very linear. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, you know, I, I was playing around in Flash, and it's just like, oh, I have, I've hit the edge of what Flash can do. So I, I kind of shelved the idea. And then in February this year, I'd messed around with Game Maker a bit, I think, around then. And I started thinking about my dream Metroidvania game again. I even have, like, a very rough, like, honeycomb map of, like, this is how it would be laid out. Here's the abilities you would get. Here's how, like, here's how the movement would feel. And then I played Hollow Knight... And it's like somebody reached into my head and just took that idea and made my dream game. And it's just like, it's so perfect and pure and it's exactly what I wanted. And it's also like defeating because it's like, oh, you guys did what I wanted my next game to be so perfectly that I'm like kind of giving up on that idea now. (laughs) That's kind of a great feeling, I think. Yeah. It's like you guys made the game I wish I could have. And, like, you did it perfectly. Like, there's basically nothing I There's nothing for you to say on the issue now. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, oh, you did... You ripped me off before I... I mean, the idea of having one of these games that is actually truly open and non-linear shouldn't be as difficult as it is for people to do. (laughs) Like, so many of these games are just like, oh, you got ability number one. Now backtrack over here where there's a door that you kick and now it opens and now you can get ability number two. Yeah, they're so like pedantic and like, oh, backtracking is the point of these games. It's like, no, it's being open and having people find their own way. So Hollow Knight, by being so huge as it is, and this game is freaking huge, like it unleashes the potential of that formula in a way I haven't ever seen anything do before besides like super Metroid basically with sequence breaking. Cause yeah. super Metroid is kind of weird because you have to like do weird stuff at the start, like the mock ball to get the super missiles yeah. early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is kind of built like there are some advanced techniques, but they're not nearly as kind of tricky as Convoluted. the glitches in that. It's like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know this. I could do this at the start of the game, but like there's an area where they teach it to you and you've had this ability the whole time. 
And now on replays, oh, I'll know what that's a thing I can do. Cool. And like, this game also has some really great like story beats, even though it's like like Dark Souls. <laughs> and the story in this game is very much like Dark Souls. Like, <laughs> it's presented in a very similar fashion. Yeah, I'm laughing because I also compared I compared my game to Dark Souls. <laughs> and it, it it's Hollow is right in the title. Like yeah. there is. Yeah. There are some similarities. I don't think they're hi- hiding from that. But, like, ultimately, the story actually goes in a very different direction than the first Dark Souls does, which I thought was really neat, but they kind of subvert what you're expecting it to do. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a couple story beats that are really nice, and then there's two endings, like Dark Souls. <laughs> and both of the final bosses are, like, up there as kind of moment of the year for me. And the music in these fights is so freaking good. Like, this game also has super good music. And, like, they do a thing where, like, the music works with the gameplay in a way I haven't seen many things do before. Like, like having a music that kind of raises, I'm thinking of the word, like, like an escalation of notes that keep getting higher mm-hmm. while your character is moving higher on the screen. Uh-huh. And it's, it's really cool synergy that stuck out to me and was like, oh, my God, this is amazing moment brilliant design there yeah so it's like i can i basically cannot imagine anymore a metroidvania better than this game because it Damn. is so good. like seriously i think it's like a genre that's like okay like like after the first dark souls where it's like okay just put a bow on it we're done here time to move on to another genre because this mm-hmm. one's been done basically perfectly cool i i I, yeah. I realized like a little bit ago like hey it's cool how we just figured out how to make these kind of games good yeah because i think i think in the zeros everyone was trying to riff on symphony and now it feels like yeah. everyone's trying to riff on dark souls yeah and dark souls is much better than symphony yeah, that yeah. is a good yeah. starting point yeah <laughs> yeah cool. this game is crazy I'm to really... me because it's almost like Besides Super Metroid, like, I didn't think this genre kind of still had it in it to be this cool. good. Yeah. That's really cool. I and want another I'll... game that I'm super excited to get to play over the next year or so. And this game being made by, like, three people is nuts. Like, that's what's also crazy is that it is kind of an attainable goal because it was made by a very small, yeah. small team. Fuck yeah. And is that so... what, what, what are you saying, Polly? Next three years or so? Next year or so? Yeah. I'm going to play this game over the course of the next year. Gotcha. Okay. I, I hope I didn't hype it up too much, though. Nah. Nah, we're good. We gotcha. Cool. I think... Hey, yeah, what? I think I know what's coming. You know what's coming? Think what's your number one? Pretty much narrowed this down. The game of the year. Uh, if you have not guessed it by this point, like, you have not been paying attention... Um, my game oh. here has been spoken about at length <laughs> by, by everyone, everybody. Uh, my game of the year has been a lock for me since I completed it in March. Uh, mm. it's just, it is a game that left a huge impression on me. Uh, I, 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 I can't say I learned about myself playing this game i'll say that i felt validated in a lot of thinking that i have 
uh, from playing this game. And um, along with it just being, you know, a hugely emotional war story in and of itself and the way that it tells that story with these characters that are supposed to be striving to be human and stuff like that. Um, it just left a big impression on me. And like ever since I completed Nier Automata, it was just like I knew that was my lock for game of the year. Like nothing was yeah. going to touch it. Like, it was just, it was indomitable. There was no way. Like, this was inevitable. But did, did Danganronpa touch it a little bit? It got real fucking close. Okay. Like, when, I was putting, I was... when I was putting my final list together, I sat there with those two games not on the top of the list, just kind of rearranging everything else, because I was dreading having to have those two fight it out. And it's really just, like, I want them both to be my game of the year, really. I know. Like, I love both of those games equally. Like, if I could just have Nier and Danganronpa V3 as my game of the year, and then Trails in the Sky, second chapter is number two, I'd be totally happy with that. Um, But, I mean, what the fuck can I say about the game that hasn't been said already mm. at this point i mean this is the game yeah. like this is the game that i think everybody knew was kind of going to dominate this year uh just in this yeah. community anyway it had been talked about so much and like i'd seen so many people play through it and have similar reactions that it was just like i kind of knew that i i wasn't gonna have to reach too hard for words to say about this one <laughs> Uh, just because it was just like, I, I, everybody got like what this game was trying to put down, I think. And, yeah. uh, you know, what you pulled out of it personally, you know, from those final moments, especially, uh, with, uh, the pods talking to one another, uh, I think that's, just, that's like your really important moment right there is like what you pull out of what those pods say to each other in the final moments of the game. Um, mm. And of course, like saying yes to the final uh, question, like felt like the right thing to do. Like it wasn't even a question; it was just like, yeah, like this is the right thing to do. Uh, it felt mm-hmm. like it was perfectly thematic to what the game was trying to tell me, anyway. Which is something that I was already resigned to. It was just like, okay, well, we're already on the same page here. There's no reason for me to disregard this request. So, yeah, Nier Automata, Game of the Year, just easiest fucking choice ever. <laughs> cool. And based on the user lists, like, it dominated, like, yeah. number of votes by, for sure, so that's a, the community Game of the Year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. It's really good. It's really good. I couldn't, I played it and I was like, I just kind of couldn't believe that I played another <laughs> game as good as Danganronpa 1 and 2 over the course of, like, four months later like that should be it felt like that's something that should be like a every couple years yeah like these kind of like games are kind of incredible right now yeah and then that and also putting out the work that i'm most personally proud of yeah like it's (sighs) game wise it's been a good year i'm glad we kind of have this moment at the end of the year to look back at the good things so that we can for at least just a little while, not worry so much about the bad shit. Mm-hmm. 
Like that's that's kind of because there's a lot of it, but yeah, we got each other. There you gotta go. Keep pushing forward. There you go. I love y'all a lot. I'm glad we got the chance to. <laughs> so once <do> again, <laughs> want to thank everybody for giving us your ears over the course of another year. I know we're not as regular as we used to be about this thing, but it's it, it's a situation. You know, it'll mm-hmm. it'll sort itself out. We're still going to be doing socks casts. They're just not on the regular anymore, unfortunately, but we're still getting together. We're still doing it. And y'all are still coming out to hang with us. Y'all are still downloading. Y'all are still talking in the discord and all that fun stuff. Y'all mean a lot to us. Yeah. Really. Thanks a lot. You really, really do mean a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Y'all, each and every one of you is a very important part of this community. There's nobody uh, better or worse than anybody else. Everybody here is vital. And everybody matters. And even if you're not in the Discord or part of the community or anything like that, and you give us your time, uh, it means a lot that you would do that because we are stupid. Why would you do that? <laughs> but anyway, I guess we're going to go ahead and wind down 20, a 2017. Hopefully have a better 2018. Yeah, don't uh, talk about ending that year already. <laughs> Who knows? By the time it starts, we may want it to end. Mm. No, we're going in positive. We're going in positive. Fuck. Fuck. Yep. I'm bad at the positive thing, okay? <laughs> I know. All right. So before we kick it on out of here, Rhett, where can everybody find you? Uh, Inconsequential. Oh, wait. Is that my domain? I don't even remember what my own website is. In3.tumblr.com. John Thayer, where can we find you? Faraway Times. Also, faraway.times.itch.io. Boom. And you can find me at my dumb website. And remember, we are the podcast that loves you. We're the only ones that love you.